Made It. Made It. Made It. Is a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Previously on Made It. Rehab didn't work for me because I definitely didn't want it to. People need to stop marketing their rehabs like they're selling some fucking thing like sobriety because that is not what they are doing. They're just stabilizing somebody who was on a substance. You want the truth? Fuck, here we go again. So I knew something was wrong. If she dies... Recovery is first. Choose Your Struggle presents Made It, Season 1, Stay Savage. Imagine a world that embraces the full humanity of people who use drugs. A world where drug policies are grounded in science, compassion, health, equity, and human rights. A world where lives are saved, not destroyed. The Drug Policy Alliance fights every day to make that world a reality. We work to end the war on drugs, repair its harms, and build an approach that puts people first. We've led the way on cutting-edge drug policies, decriminalizing drugs and instead investing in health-based services, centering racial justice and marijuana legalization, and expanding access to harm reduction. Join us in building a better future at drugpolicy.org slash made it. Oh, God, what a shitty story. Welcome to Episode 7. When we last left off, Sarah was having a rough time. She was in jail, and then out of jail, and then in jail again. All along, she wasn't getting the treatment, whether mental health or substance misuse, that she needed. Here's Sarah. So, I had a really rough summer, 2017. It was the beginning of the year, too. Like, for, I would say from, like, April to July, it was just me and Kensington alone. Um, some really bad stuff had happened. There were so many things that took place in that time frame. Um, really, like, brutally violent, uh, scary things, and, uh, I kind of went deeper and deeper and, like, used more and more, um, where I, I wasn't even really functioning anymore. Um, I think that was, like, the darkest part of my using. I, I just wanted to die. They always say it's darkest before the dawn. And in Sarah's case, no, I'm completely kidding. That, that stuff is always a bunch of bullshit. However, for Sarah, a change was coming. That change was what we call the famous Sarah story. It's what you heard her refer to as an awful story. And it is. It is an awful story. What you'll hear next is everybody in the family remembering it for themselves. Let's start with Mary. So Liz and I were in the kitchen and... The phone rang. Sarah, she was shaking. She said, I, I, I think I broke my hip. I, maybe everything's a little disconnected. I'm in a car and um, I, I need you to come get me and take me to the hospital. Now let's hear from Liz. I don't remember exactly where I was when I heard it. I just know that I was at Jefferson Hospital immediately after that. Uh, me and my mom were there. We were the first ones there. And now Mac. Um, I was at school. 
uh, when my mom told me, my first question was just like, oh, is she alive? <laughs> uh, yeah, my mom was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> of course she's alive. Otherwise, I wouldn't be calling you. And I was like, I really hope you called me anyway, but okay. Uh, so the first thing I did, obviously, when I left school, I happened to work down the street from where she was staying in the hospital. Uh, so, you know, I stopped at work, was like, gotta go check on my sister. She's in the hospital, walked a couple blocks down and checked on her. Really, it was just like, okay, she got injured. Adam remembers it a little bit differently. We were at my mom's house um, at the park playing basketball. And my mom was there, which is really weird because only two times in my entire life can I recall my mom being at the basketball court with us in, at the park. And we were all there. My brothers, a couple of friends, the nieces and nephews. And my mom picked up the phone. And at the time, um, Sarah had been in a really rough stretch of, of use. Um, she had been, she had gone to rehab probably a dozen times in the last three months. Uh, and each time she would come out and some crazy shit would happen. Uh, and at that point, I was, I was just, uh, I was mad more than anything. She, she called my mom. Uh, my mom picked up the phone at the basketball court and she said, Sarah is calling me saying that her hip is broken um, and that she needs help. Um, and that was it. And I was like, what are you like? Where is she? She said an hour away in North Philly. And uh, I was like, why would she call you if her hip was broken? Why wouldn't she call an ambulance? And she was like, I don't know, but I'm going to get her. And I was like, do not go to get her. Call an ambulance. Okay, let's finish with Georgie. You might think I'm crazy, but when I heard, I was like, oh, she's she's going to be good now. Like, she's going to be okay because she was on her way to the hospital. And like, she wouldn't, she couldn't walk, so she couldn't leave. So like, I know that sounds awful, but like, I was like, oh my God, this is a relief. She's going to be in like, she's going to be okay. Okay, that was the family's reaction. Let's hear Sarah tell her side of the story. I had a bunch of cash on me and I went to my normal spot and there were like some new people working the block because there had been a shooting on the block a couple weeks earlier. So they had new people working different shifts that I didn't know anymore. And um, I copped. We kind of had a couple words. I went to the trap house. I went up into the trap house. I proceeded to get high, very high. For some reason, I checked the hallway i was like alone in the trap house and i saw that there were three men kind of coming up the stairs and in the hallway and uh i immediately kind of went into like high alert and we got into a tussle and i went out a second story window and um i remember hitting the ground it was this weird sound and i remember looking for my stuff, making sure I had my drugs. I couldn't reach my little bag with my phone in it or anything, so I was fucked, and I tried to move, and my legs didn't work, and I tried to crawl the opposite direction because I heard them coming around to, like, and I was afraid. I thought they were definitely going to kill me. Anyway, they dragged me um down the street to... uh to um a filthy fucking block 
Sarah and I took a break at this point in the recording. I'm sure you can understand why. When we came back, I asked her why she thought that they dragged her away from the house. Here's her response. It's drawing attention. You know, I'm an injured person. I was covered in blood and I couldn't walk and it's not like they're going to... And also the house that I was... That house has all the drugs in it. So it's not like they want the cops coming around there or an ambulance coming around there. They don't want that kind of attention on the block. While various members of the family had guesses as to what was actually happening inside the trap house that day, Sarah did her best to set the record straight. I thought, and I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, people are always like, oh, is this like blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't fucking know. I was fucking shooting cocaine and heroin and smoking crack and taking Xanax. They could have been walking upstairs to sit down on the sofa and fucking smoke a blunt. I don't know what they were doing. I assumed they were coming up to fucking gang rape me. That's what I thought they were doing. And I didn't want to be fucking raped. So, did I get hype? Yup, I did. Did I pay the fucking price? Yeah, I did. Do I think they were coming upstairs to give me a piece of fucking bubblegum? No, I don't. It's Kensington. There is an effort among people who like to tell these stories in recollection to identify a moment as the narrative device rock bottom. Sometimes those moments are exactly what you think they are, a clear identifying moment where your life is going to change. Other times, it's flat out false. That narrative comes from a really dark place, to be honest. It comes from this idea that if we just force people to hit a point where they simply cannot kid themselves anymore, it will force their life to rebound or them to realize how bad their life really is. The thing is, if you actually stop and think about the idea, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And for me, the moments that I finally realized that I needed to make a change were months after what I now recognize as the lowest moments in terms of scariest and darkest. And in fact, what I call my rock bottom moment was actually a moment of just loneliness. I asked Sarah if this moment, what we all now know as the famous Sarah story, in which her life did begin to change, if in that moment she recognized it for what it was. Her answer was a very clear no. In the moments that I was, before I got to the hospital and on my way to the hospital, I just wanted to die. And I was cursing God for making it last so long. Every move that I had made for the past three to four months was like a very passive, slow suicide. And it, it had gone from this like, well, I might die, but that's okay, to God, I hope I don't wake up. I just, I wanted the pain to stop. All of it. Everything hurt. Everything was ugly. While Sarah doesn't remember a lot of the details of that day, and honestly, can you blame her? The rest of the family does. Here's Mary. We managed to get her, me and a, this passerby, out of this vehicle and into my car. We get there, and... They don't have a gurney, they don't have a wheelchair. They gotta get her out and get her through those doors. The next thing you know, she's in this auditorium. They asked her, like, where, where, where can we find a vein? And she points to her neck. She's like, that's the only one that's open. And she passed out from the pain. More after this break. Here's this episode's podcast recommendation brought to you by Great Pods. Hey y'all, it's me, your host, It's my absolute pleasure to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, Crackdown. 
Launched in 2019, it's hosted by the journalist Garth Mullins, and it's one of the most honest and empathetic shows on drug use, addiction, and drug policy in the world. And I should know, I mean, I did create this show you're listening to, right? I love Crackdown so much that I'm a Patreon supporter, and rarely does one of their monthly episodes go by that I'm not posting about it on social media and sharing it with my friends and family. I even got to interview Garth for my other show, Choose Your Struggle. Yeah, I'm kind of a super fan. So check out Crackdown wherever you get your podcasts, and let them know you heard about them right here on Choose Your Struggle Presents Made It, Season 1, Stay Savage. Liz was fresh out of another stint in rehab, and she was right there with her mother caring for Sarah. And I remember walking in to, it was like an operating room. And so it was like 360 degrees. Like it just felt like there was lights and gadgetry all over the place. And she was laying in this bed and she had a neck brace on and like her, she was strapped. Like she couldn't move at all. And she had like crusty blood all over her. She was swollen. And I just fucking like, I was trying to hold it together because if she could see me, I didn't want her to see my face and get scared about what she looked like. But so what I always do in those situations is like, try to be a little positive. Like, okay, everything's going to be fine. Like you want some, she was complaining that her, her mouth was dry and gross. So I went and got her some candy and a little, I got her a rose and hung it from the the metal bed. It was like a four poster frame because of the way she was jacked and just hung dangled the rose over her head and whispered in her ear and like, I love you, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay, all this shit. Sarah did make it, and the family rallied around her in the hospital. I did continue to see her most days. She complained she didn't like the food, so I would go buy her Panera all the time. I spent so much fucking money on Panera. Uh, And Le Pain, Quotidien. Yeah, she loved Le Pain. Uh, so I would do that. And, uh, while she was in the hospital, she said, you know, I want to do something. I want to help people in my position. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to change some shit. And I was like, all right, epic. I'm with it. What do you need me to do? What you just heard Mac refer to was the seed that would eventually grow into Savage Sisters, the incredible organization that Sarah now runs. But its birth, or I should say the birth of its idea, <laughs> is not a pretty one. Here's Sarah. The, the full background of it, which is actually kind of funny, I stole a credit card. I had hit a lick, and uh, when I hit the lick, I stole a car, allegedly, and uh, in the car was a purse, and in that purse was a credit card. And I decided after, uh, you know, getting rid of the car, getting a little money, that I was going to go on a shopping spree in Kensington with this credit card. And it was the day before I went out the window and I bought myself a pair of combat boots and a dress and it says savage across it in capital letters. And that would be the dress that I would be cut out of in the um, hospital. And it was kind of the only thing that I could see. Now, when I was in ICU, I was coming in and out of consciousness. I remember little tiny, like I know people kept saying that they had come and they had visited me. I don't remember a lot of it. And for some reason I had my cell phone. So, and and I had a very bad memory. For months I had a bad memory. I had multiple contusions in my head and the concussions. My I didn't remember things that I were, I didn't remember a lot. 
I kept seeing the word savage through the clear plastic bag and I kept Googling it like over repeatedly because I would forget what it said. And I almost couldn't identify what it meant, if that makes sense. Um, When you have a concussion, I guess a severe one, there were certain things that like somebody would say a word to me that was normal, like tour. And I wouldn't, I would know that it was a word, but I wouldn't be able to like match what that meaning was. So I was Googling a lot of things. The way that it's been retold, it's almost as if Sarah woke up and had divine intervention, and the next thing we knew, she was better and had founded Savage. That wasn't the case. Here's Adam underscoring that point. I don't think Sarah woke up, saw the Savage dress, and was like, oh, everything's going to be okay now, I'm going to go start Savage Sisters. No, definitely not. Um, I can guarantee that that's not the case, because when I went to go see her, she was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And she was like, you know fighting the nurses, and she was fighting anybody around her, and uh, she just wanted to leave. While it may not have been a sort of fairy godmother waving a magic wand and making everything all better, members of the family did see an improvement in her. Here's Georgie. Um, And I remember having this conversation with Adam. I was like, how is she? What's going on? And I remember him being like, she's... She's good. She's really angry. She's really angry. And it's great that she's really angry. I was like, that's amazing. Because if she's angry, that like, she's like alive. She has energy. Like, she's angry. You know what I mean? Um, so I think like, in a way, I, I, maybe Adam also felt a little bit of that relief. Um, because for a long time, like sometimes she'd be missing for like a long time. And you, you start to have like, very dark and like scary thoughts when someone you love is missing. So it was nice that everyone knew where she was. I remember when I saw Mary and Adam, Mary was also like, she she wasn't, I think that moment of fear had passed and everyone was just relieved that they knew where she was and that she was safe. After a while, those improvements became much more obvious. Here's Adam. Each day that I would see her afterwards, I would notice a difference and a change in her. She was just like coming back to being herself. And uh, within 30 days, I remember finally uh, believing that I might actually have Sober Sarah back, which was a long time coming. For Mac, that hope was immediately motivation and translated into action. She gets out of the hospital, is in like a wheelchair, and then crutches. I did really hope that that would be the turning point for her uh, after she had talked about it. You know, I had, I did, I started doing research. I started looking up all things about prisons and how to, and just like statistics. I started taking courses in school based around her idea, learning all about everything I could about addiction, the statistics of it, uh, what happens behind it, the chemical imbalances. I just, I dove right in. If this goal is the thing that keeps you running, then let's run with it. But that's not all Mac did. She also took a hands-on approach to helping Sarah get better. So I I would Uber her everywhere. I I went to meetings with her. It was really nice. Because after she fell out of that window, she became a person again. She was not a dick anymore. For the most part, she was still a dick sometimes. She was in a lot of pain, so she was an asshole, but she was a lot less dicky. Mac was cautiously optimistic, but she wasn't ready to hang the victory banner yet. So the the sad part for me was that 
I always believed that it could be. Every single time I thought this could be it. Uh, which is part of what kept me going. And the thing that tipped me off was that even though she was walking around in crutches, she was asking me to get her Ubers to meetings every day. And I knew all the time where she was because I was the one Ubering her to and from those places so I could look up that address. Let's take a break. If you guys want to learn more about Savage Sisters, check out www.savagesisters.org. If you'd like to hear more from me and Sarah specifically, please reach out to info at savagesisters.org and we can come speak to you, your organization, your business, or your place of worship on Narcan trainings, harm reduction trainings, or anything in general with Savage Sisters. If you want to donate, please go to savagesisters.org's sponsorship page. There you can find a plethora of ways to give directly to our cause and help our mission. Additionally, if you want to come volunteer in an outreach, please reach out to info at savagesisters.org so we can give you dates, times, and locations for our outreach events. Thanks, everybody. Stay savage. Hey, y'all. It's Jay, the host of this show. If you're not really enjoying the series and you're just listening to make me happy, then thank you. But for the rest of you, I invite you to check out everything else Choose Your Struggle does in the mental health and drug use advocacy space. We have a couple other podcasts, including our incredibly popular weekly show called Choose Your Struggle. On that show, I interview people with lived and learned experiences on the subjects of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy, but occasionally we talk about other topics as well. We also have another new show called Choose Your Struggle Presents Monday Motivation, but it's not just podcasts. We also host two vulnerable storytelling events, Rock Bottom Storytellers in a Day in the Life, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. And now I'm so excited to announce we'll be doing Rock Bottom Storytellers live here in Philly starting this summer. I also have a book coming out hopefully later this year, and I regularly travel the country telling my story and speaking about these important topics. I know this is all a lot, but you can check us out at our website, chooseyourstruggle.com and check out all of our podcasts wherever you're getting this series just by searching for Choose Your Struggle. All right, that's enough about us. Let's get back to the show. Sarah has a pretty simple explanation of what it was that made this time different. I had to sit still long enough to actually reflect on everything. And it wasn't that I was like, this is my rock bottom. It was um, a lot of pain. I, it might have been cute for them to watch me hobble around, but for me, I was terrified that this wouldn't be it, that I would go further and then I would get more hurt. And then I wouldn't have the control to stop. And that terrified me. Because I didn't have an aha moment walking around on with staples. I was scared of the disease. I was scared of heroin. And the fact that I wanted it so badly still. So... I'm glad they had that experience because they were exhausted from my, my, my years of bullshit, but I don't, at that point, I was tired 
and I was afraid that I was going to go back at it in that state. And that's all. I wish I had a hallelujah moment. That would have been so fucking epic if I was like, Jesus saved me. That's not what happened. Other people talk about that pink cloud. I'm like, um, yeah, okay. I don't have one. The, the, the God moment, the whatever you want to call it, the higher power moment. It's not a moment. And when you feed that lie to people like me, I feel like I'm undeserving of that moment, you know? I'm like, why isn't this Holy Ghost carrying me through this, you know? And I'm like, well, I guess I'm just supposed to die from it. I'm serious, though, you know? It's like this, um, this fairy tale. We're always fucking telling adults fairy tales. Children into adulthood. When you're an adult, they're like, Jesus is going to come to your room and you're going to be cured. It's not what the fuck happens. It's not what it is. It's fucking hard work, and it's ugly, and it's gross, and it's raw, and it hurts. The dark night of the soul is is the dark night of the soul. It's not fucking carried on angels' wings. Fuck you. The rest of the family could tell just how fragile Sarah's recovery really was. Sarah was in recovery, living in recovery homes around South Philly, and we all talked every single day. She would come over, she would hang out. I mean, my house was not a recovery house. She could come over and relax and, you know, be with the family right down the street from where she was living. She definitely was having a rough time. She was in a wheelchair, then she was on crutches, and the homes that she were in sucked. Um, but she met a couple of really cool people, uh, and I think that really helped her. Those first few months in recovery, living in substandard sober housing, that really was the motivation for the idea that became Savage Sisters. Here's Mary. It was an adventure. She had a brutal, brutal time. The first sober place she went to, they threw her out because of her injuries. And I remember the guy saying to me, like, this is for her safety. I said, you are so full of shit. This is covering your own ass. You don't give a crap about her recovery. He's like, well, she just needs to come home with you for a few days. I said, are you kidding? She is used in my house beyond understanding. She should not be in my house. And then her friend called her and said that she could come and stay there. So she did. That friend was someone who understood what Sarah was going through because she was going through it too. Here's Liz. Dez is the one who left the recovery house to start Savage with Sarah. I refused. I was not secure in my recovery. I had a couple months sober and I want to stay here. I'm safe here. I am not starting, you know, trying to build a friggin' recovery house empire just yet. It's too premature. So Desiree does that. I'm living in this recovery house. There's three of us in this house. There's this, I'm sharing a bedroom with a girl. I move in. Three days go by. She doesn't speak to me. She's very quiet. I have a book called He and I by Gabrielle Bossy. It's a spiritual book. And I love that book. I read it till it falls apart and then I buy another copy. And I had it on my bed. So this girl, my roommate, who re- doesn't talk to me, comes down into the kitchen and she's like, where the hell did you get that book? She said, I had my first spiritual experience of my life reading that book in prison. My cellmate's mom gave it to her, and I was like, that's my sister. The small world of recovery, right? Anyway, Sarah and Dez had a deep connection. Here's Sarah. My friend Dez, and we'd been in jail together uh, twice, and she had a friend who owned properties, and she was like, come let me out, you can live on the first floor. And I was like, bet, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, dude. So Sarah moved into the recovery house Dez was staying in, and very quickly, she started to build this, <laughs> as Liz jokingly called it, empire that is now Savage Sisters. 
I think it was just me and Des at first, and then we got a couple more girls, but it was supposed to be like a quote-unquote sober house. She there, there was a second house that we opened up. She went to the second house to open it up. It was empty. She had to get the furniture and put it together and do all that stuff. And she relapsed there while preparing the house. Okay, it's time to level with you about something. I know for the last couple episodes, I've been saying that we're doing the U storyline. You know, the U shape, right? Where you go down, you sit at the bottom, and then you come back up. Welp, I lied. <laughs> it's really more like a backwards J with a little bit of a squiggle at the, uh, at the end, and then it comes up. I don't know, maybe it's a letter in Norwegian or something, but it certainly isn't a U. Uh, you probably could have guessed that, though, considering there's still three more episodes after this, and things were sounding good there for a minute. So, look, just hang in there. I promise at the end we end up at the top again. Like, that's definitely going to happen. You can trust me on that. I'm not lying. But it's going to be a little bit. So, you know, stay tuned. Anyway, here's a little bit more from Sarah. I was the house manager at the Siegel Street house, and she was over on the Jackson Street house. They were two blocks away from each other in South Philly. So, like, we were right there. And... I still had staples in my leg, maybe, but I wasn't on a, I wasn't using a walker or crutches. I still remember that. I think I had like 60 days sober. (laughs) No business running a recovery house. Let me just put that out there. But like, (laughs) you know, there was only like one other person living there. Claudia was living there with me at that point. So it was me and Claudia and this girl, Kat, at Siegel Street. And Des called me and she was like, I'm going to get high you want to come? And I did not really know what to do. I I just remember being in my bedroom and like freezing, completely freezing. And I said, let me call you right back. Next time on Made It. And Des kind of went in and out, in and out. And, you know, we obviously always talk to each other, but I got really busy. Thanks for listening. Made It Season 1, Stay Savage is a Choose Your Struggle production and a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. I'm Jay Schiffman, your narrator, producer, and founder of Choose Your Struggle. Special thanks to Lauren Schiffman and Steve Schiffman for their help on this show. The theme song was composed by me and built on the song All That by Ben Sound. The Made It theme you hear in Episode 10 was composed by Lettuce and Rob Devious. All interviews for this show were given freely and no payment was received by anyone for providing an interview for this show. All views expressed by those interviewed are their own. For more info, please see your show notes or learn more at chooseyourstruggle.com.